Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. Tony will have a conversation today with one of the world's great influencers as they showcase the newest, hottest, and best trends from all walks of life. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, entrepreneur, movers, and shakers. Thanks for joining in with us. We're all here to learn. We're here to get better in life and in our business. And we all have our goals, our objectives, and we sometimes struggle to find our purpose and the meaning for everything. We talk about that here and there in my episode. And while we do that, when we get a chance to learn from someone who's been there, it's such a welcome relief. We all want to hear from the giants in our industry who can help us get to our destination a whole lot faster. And that's why I interview people at the top of their category, whom I call elite entrepreneurs. These people, they push, they push, they refuse to give up, and they really wanted to make something great for themselves. And today we have the opportunity to hear from someone who's worked with the renowned Stephen R. Covey. He's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which was named the number one most influential business book of the 20th century. Our guest today helped Stephen on several of his books and is going to tell you about her latest book as well. We're going to talk about Living in Crescendo with Cynthia Covey-Haller. And later on in this episode, we're going to have an insider's brief about taking a look at some common myths that may be hindering our business from adopting generative AI. And by the way, I know that we should be saving and investing, but I've always been overwhelmed at the thought, so I just keep putting it off, even if I started. How would I know if I was doing it right? Which is why I was so excited when Acorns reached out to sponsor today's episode. Acorns helps you automatically save and invest for your future. You don't need a lot of money to get started. You can even start by investing your spare change with Roundups. The app even gives you access to education and guidance to learn more about investing. Head to acorns.com slash Tony to sign up for Acorns to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View imported to closures at acorns.com slash honestly. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors, LLC. Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And that's A-C-O-R-N-S dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Give your money a chance to grow with Acorns. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends Move on your journey to success. We want to help you get very successful, and we're going to help turn you into an elite entrepreneur. Meet Cynthia Covey-Haller. She's Stephen's daughter, and she contributed to the writing of several books, notably The Third Alternative by Stephen R. Covey and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens and The Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make, both by Sean Covey. Does that have your attention? I think that says enough. Let's get into it. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the Tony Dierso Show. Hi, Tony. I'm so honored that you'd have me. I'm really excited to be on your show. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. And we're all looking forward to learning about living in crescendo. And it's quite a title. But right before we kind of dig into that, Cynthia, could you tell us how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? I'd love to. As you mentioned, I'm Stephen Covey, Stephen and Sandra Covey's. I'm the oldest of nine children. I was, I'm known as the mother hen in the family. So I look after my brood now that they're both passed on. But, um, yeah, uh, this happened years ago. Um, my father was, this was like in 2008 and he was juggling a lot of books and projects. And I foolishly asked him, Hey, dad, are you going to ever write anything as good as seven habits? <laughs> And he kind of was insulted. He's like, gosh, I wrote that in 1989. What do you think I've been doing for, for the last 30, 40 years? You know, I, I, I feel like I still have a lot to contribute. And that's why I get up every day hoping to 
that I can share some ideas that will also inspire people. And so he said, one of these I'm working on is, was his personal mission statement, the last 10 years of his life, which, which is live life in crescendo. And I think that he, I'll explain about what that means, but I think he, he adopted that because people would ask him when he was in his seventies, you know, when are you going to retire? When are you going to, you know, why are you still traveling? Why are you still speaking and writing? And he felt like, why shouldn't I? I still have passion for what I'm doing. Hopefully I'm making a difference. I, I want to contribute and to give as much as I can. And, and I'm not stopping any time. And, and our family retirement was like the I, R word. We didn't say retirement. So anyway, uh, he asked me if I would uh, take his ideas and um, make them practical. Find some examples of people who were famous and non-famous who lived their lives in crescendo. And so that was, I did that. We worked together for a few years. And then unfortunately he passed away much too soon, a little bit unexpectedly. And um, so I finished the book. Um, it took me 10 years to finish after he passed, but I knew he wanted, he felt as passionate about this material as his seven habits or anything that he'd written previously. So I felt driven to finish it. And so Simon and Schuster published it last year. That's absolutely amazing. So as I get it, Stephen wanted to write it and started on it, and then you picked up from there, or this was, or can you kind of take us into a little bit more how that all happened? Sure. He just, he actually just said, interview me for some ideas, and then you write it. And that's what I did. It was, um, he, he had so many books and projects going, he basically assigned me to write it in his stead and with his permission. And I, I wrote it in his voice. It's his ideas and his perspective. And just to explain um, a little bit, would you like me to talk about the crescendo mentality I mean, what that means, that definition? We're going to go into that uh, in just okay. a few moments. Sure. But first, I'm, I'm tracking with this as well as, you know, our audience. And I'm thinking, what was the, I, I understand that you wanted, uh, were you trying to, did you want to carry on the legacy? What was your purpose for doing this? Why did you, why did you, why did you even spend 10 years, which is not the right way to ask the question. I don't mean to be rude, but you spent well, I, 10 years putting this together. Why? What, yeah. What's the purpose on this? I understand your question. Um, well, he, it was his uh, goal. He had a vision that this material, the crescendo mentality perspective which is kind of a paradigm, like a pair of glasses that you put on and how you see life. He felt like it was would give people hope when they had setbacks. He wanted to reach people who had already experienced a lot of success, pinnacle of success people that have done it all and what's next. He wanted to affect people that felt like they were stuck in a midlife and felt they weren't as successful as he thought they were. And then the last uh, area that we talked about was the second half of life where people were asking him, when are you going to retire? And uh, the important things and the contributions you can make, your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, if you're able to physically and mentally. And so he, he had a real passion and a vision for this work. And the subtitle of, of the book is as important as Live Life from Crescendo. The subtitle says, your most important work is always ahead of you. And that my father really believed that no matter what you had experienced, what you've gone through, what setbacks, what challenges you faced, what success you've had in your life, how old you were, whatever, you still always have work to contribute and something to contribute to your family and those around you. Oh, I love it. We're going to, I'm going to ask a little bit more about that in just a moment. We're talking about living in crescendo with Cynthia Covey Haller, and you can find her on LinkedIn. That's the best place you want to chat with her. Cynthia Covey-Heller. Cynthia, let's get into the vision path here. We are entrepreneurs. We're business owners in the audience. Help us learn. And perhaps let's start here. You mentioned it. So let's get into it. What is the crescendo mentality? Okay. Um, are you musical, Tony? Do you like music? Yes, to, to a degree. I am not musical in terms of playing an instrument, though I've tried playing an instrument before. Right. Though in another life, I, I think I used to be a piano player because I'm very good and very fluent at typing and moving moving my fingers, but that's another life. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, um, my father wasn't musical. He loved music, but he wasn't musical. But but he he adopted this symbol for his mission statement because it, you know what a crescendo is, right? When you go to a concert and you feel the music building in power and intensity and energy and it gets louder and it fills the arena, it's fantastic. It keeps growing and expanding. Well, that's a crescendo. The opposite is diminuendo, another musical term. And that means that the music slows and it lessens less power, less energy and intensity. And pretty soon it comes to an absolute stop. It's, it quits. And so the challenge that he wants to issue is that at any age or stage in our life, and despite failures or past successes, and you know what, what circumstance we find ourselves in, we have the we have the choice to choose to live in crescendo or to live in diminuendo, depending on, on how we approach life. And so um it's just the idea that in crescendo, the same like music. In a crescendo, according to life, you would keep learning, keep stretching, keep growing, start over if you need to, keep reinventing yourself, keep producing and contributing as you get older instead of diminuendo, which is basically, you know, shutting down. I've been there, done that. I've, I, you know, I don't have more to contribute, to learn. I'm going to sit and watch TV until I die. I don't, I'm, I'm in, I'm living in diminuendo. And so, uh, it's a, it, it, it was, there are two terms that if I could share a, a story about this, um, in my, in my book, I talk about an amazing person named Anthony Ray Hinton. And he, um, was living in Alabama in the eighties and he was, um, accused of, he was basically framed of, of killing two people in his small community. And uh, he was actually in a lockdown facility uh, 15 miles away from when the murders occurred, but somehow they implicated him and he found himself, he knew he was innocent, so he didn't worry and went to his trial and literally uh, was convicted of killing these two men and uh, was sentenced to um, not only life imprisonment, but to death row. And so he was such a, he was so angry when he went into his cell he took his Bible and threw it under his bed and determined, you know what? If they think I'm guilty, I'm going to shut down. I've, I've got nothing to give. I'm, I'm done. And I'm not going to speak to anyone. So he maintained that for three long, miserable years. He did not speak to any guards, any inmates, to anyone besides the few family and friends that visited him. And he basically was living in diminuendo. He was shutting down. When one night at like two in the morning, he heard uh, in the cell next to him, his cellmate just sobbing and begging for someone to help him with his pain. And it, work, it, it awoke in Ray, the good person that he was and the compassion and that he had. And he realized, I don't, I can't choose if I'm on death row. I can't choose that I'm here, but I can choose my response to being here. And I can choose to show compassion to this person that's suffering. So he broke his three, three years of silence and spoke to the man and found out that his mother had just passed away and he was devastated and knowing he would never see her. And he spent the night comforting a total stranger and um, trying to give him hope to hang on. And from that point on, Ray determined that he was going to um, choose a better a better way to respond to what happened to him. And for the next, if you can believe, almost 30 years, uh, he endured this um, this incarceration until he got the attention of, of um, Brian Stevenson with Equal Justice Initiative, who helped him uh, get, get out of prison. And when he walked out, uh, while he was there, he started a book club uh, with the prisoners he became friends with the guards. He increased his knowledge, his wisdom. He kept growing. He blessed other people's life and became a hope and a beacon to many people on death row. So when he was finally uh, proven that he was wrongly incarcerated and that it was all a sham, he was released from prison and came out and said, the sun does shine to his family and friends. And this became the title of a, a New York bestselling book that he wrote four years later talking about the experience that he went through and how he not only found the, the courage and dignity to live, uh, endure what he went through, but to live and inspire others. And so Anthony Ray now 
Um, like I said, for three years, he was in diminuendo. He didn't have any influence. He was bitter. He was angry when he wasn't speaking. He was shut down. But as he decided, you know, that he was going to make better choices about what happened, how he was going to respond to what happened to him, then uh, now he is an activist. He helps other people in, with the Equal Justice Initiative who are also wrongly accused. He's an author. He's a speaker. His life is expanding in crescendo, and he is making amazing contributions throughout the United States. So that's just an example, uh, Tony, of uh, uh, choosing to live in crescendo or diminuendo. What a great story. I really appreciate you sharing that. It's like, what a shock. What a shock what's oh, what happened. Yeah. I'm so glad that justice finally saw the light of day. And here's a fast break on getting sales for your business. Are you selling a little? Or are you selling a lot? You know, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. They're the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. So that means whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. They help you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to the other leading platforms so you can sell more with less effort. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. They power 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. They're the global force behind companies such as Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. And you know why? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Tony, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Tony now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash Tony. And that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. And just a quick thank you that I sincerely appreciate you listening to my weekly shows with today's elite entrepreneurs. And if you like this show, please go to Apple Podcasts and give a cool review. Please look up the Tony D'Urso Show and drop a kind one. And now I have an important insider's brief for you. So let's go to that next, and then I'll circle back to Cynthia. Here's an insider's brief about taking a look at some common myths that may be hindering our business from adopting generative AI. To tell us all about it, we're with Raj Dada, IBM Vice President, ISV, and Technology Partnerships. Hi, Raj. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tony. Thank you for having me. Pleasure is mine. You know, we're all interested to learn how IBM can help our business overcome AI adoption myths. And I think probably the best place to start, Raj, is what are some of the common myths that hinder us, that hinder businesses, from adopting generative AI. Yeah, you know, um, as I'm speaking to, you know, hundreds of clients and uh, partners out there, it's there's there's three areas that just keep resonating over and over as I, as I speak to them about concerns about adopting AI, which, you know, I, I believe we're able to address. But, you know, one of them is many of them aren't even aware of the tools and platforms that are available to help them really uh, take responsible AI to market. And that's because, you know, there's just so much noise around the AI space right now. They don't know what's good, what's bad, or what's available. And then, you know, the other area is, is cost, right? Uh, many, many of our customers initially will overestimate the complexity and cost of building AI. And, you know, the third one that we see over and over again is, is the skills gap, you know, and the uh, ability to develop expertise around AI. And, um, you know, many, many customers are very, very 
worried about, do I have to hire an army of PhDs in order to, you know, have my application have a AI component to it? And, and the simple answer is, is no. You know, I mean, IBM has spent years of intense focus on developing AI that's built for business. And what we allow many of our, um, all of our partners uh, and you know, software companies or technology companies to do is essentially take our technology, our AI technology, and embed it to their solutions. So they can take that solution to market much faster without having to develop AI from scratch. I got you. Let's try uh, a better understanding of the game or the game plan or the whole foundation. How can a business... How can a business drive growth? How can they scale? How how can AI really help us to get bigger, better, better, faster? Yeah, I mean, like I, I think last year, you know, and at the end of uh, 2022, we saw the big hype cycle happening for AI, and you know, it got a lot of excitement, and you know, people were wondering, okay, so you know, what's next? What's going to happen? And and how do I get started? And I, I really believe in 2024 and 2025, we're going to expect this to properly go to market. It's going to properly have AI for business, and that's really what we've done. You know, what we did uh, last year was we launched our IBM Watson product. And that's essentially an enterprise-ready AI and data platform that provides access to hundreds of pre-trained models and a set of AI assistants to help you scale and accelerate your business immediately. And so that's been our key focus is, you know, if we know companies don't want to spend years and years sitting in a lab trying to figure out what their AI strategy is. Because guess what? That's what IBM has been doing. And we've been sitting in the lab. Our research team has been working on this. We've invested billions of dollars into ensuring that other businesses can leverage our technology, embed it into their offerings, and take it to market very fast. And, you know, like one thing that we're seeing, Tony, that I think is really exciting is obviously the large companies have definitely, you know, invested with us, have embedded our technology, have taken it to market. And but we also are seeing smaller companies, you know, the, the ones that maybe in the startup space that are actually taking our technology and able to uh, turn it around fairly fast and take it to market. And, and that, that's what really excites me uh, day in and day out basis. I see. You know, when I think of AI, I think of a couple things. I think of, gosh, that's got to cost a lot of money. It's so expensive to put all this together. That's what I think. I'm not saying that that's what it really is. And it takes hiring more staff and implementing this and implementing that. It takes time. And 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 I think of these things as as barriers to entry. So how does IBM make it more affordable and less time-consuming? Tony, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, historically, AI has been perceived as a complicated, uh, expensive, time-consuming endeavor, right? But that, that's no longer the case. Um, one way in which IBM helps accelerate adoption is through what we call embeddable AI, which is essentially offering up our AI portfolio you know, with our Watson X platform, with our, our uh, assistants, et cetera, that can easily be tailored to different different types of software and technology companies. So they can actually embed our technology in, in, in a much faster and cost-efficient uh, pattern, right? And what we're seeing over time is this is also helping our partners avoid, you know, like we just discussed, hiring all those, that army of data scientists to get their solutions up and running. I'll, I'll give you a really interesting example that, you know, got, got me, you know, super jazzed. I was just back in IBM. I came back last July and I was at a conference and, you know, I was presenting at this conference with regards to IBM's AI technology. And after I was done, I had a, a CEO of a very small um, software company come up to me and say, hey, Raj, I got to tell you a story. He's like, we just started a trial of Watson X on Friday. By the end of the weekend, we were up and running. We had our solution on top of it. And oh, by the way, I want you to see this blog that we wrote about how fast we were up and running with AI. So, you know, all these, uh, uh, con you know, misconceived conceptions about, you know, how long it'll take, how much money it's going to cost. We're really working on debunking that. Oh, that's good. And, you know, from a high level 
perspective, you know, first we're, we're entrepreneurs and, and business people in, in the audience here from a very high level. It's like, it's almost in, in, in its pure simplicity. It's almost, almost like two basic tasks that the business runs or operates. One is creating a product or service and the other is engaging with people to get the product and ser- or service, telling them about it. So it, it, it almost seems like, two different great big huge buckets or 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 whatever and as i seem to kind of understand it ai uh right now is leading or a leader in helping us develop that product make that product provide that service on on a better faster level and kind of with that but and and not to uh go too off in a tangent it seems almost that it's for the bigger business. You know, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a business. I've got five, 10 employees. You know, we do a lot of social media. Do is AI good for us? So kind of got a couple things there you could comment on. Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that really attracted me uh back and what excited me is so I myself was an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, when I I, I left IBM the first time and I, I went and started my own company. So I understand um, how difficult it is to take you know a business from the ground up. And you know, one of the the key areas that you know as as a smaller business or as a startup you go through is how much investment and resources can you put into developing certain technologies. And one of the key exciting areas is, you know, with this AI technology, we're giving the ability for any size company now to go and be able to have the AI capabilities in a very cost-efficient manner. So, you know, one other, you know, I, I told you about the, uh, the the client that I had met after my presentation, but even another very simple one was, you know, we have a, a company called Ovum Health, which is a fertility care uh, provider. And um, we collaborated with them to embed our IBM Watson X assistant into their website and mobile app. This took them less than 60 days. And so what ended up happening was now AI helps them to scale their business by better engaging with patients and more effectively answering different questions that these patients may have. I got you. Raj, does IBM have a certain threshold minimum of a size of company or business to help them or, or partner with them on their AI? Not at all. I mean, our our goal here is to allow all size businesses to leverage the AI technology. And our, you know, the the main goal that we put there for every size business is you want to have responsible AI, you want to have guardrails for your AI, and you want to ensure that what you're delivering to the end user has the right information there. And that's been our key area. You know, size-wise, yes, is IBM a, a, a big company with a lot of big customers? Of course. But the new IBM also really focuses in on early stage companies, ensuring that we're giving them the foundation that they can leverage to take it to the next level with AI. I got you. A very, very interesting. Where can our listeners go for more information, Raj? If you're if you're a software company or a technology company, I just recommend going to IBM.com slash partner plus. We completely revamped our, our partnership um, uh area last year. And now we've made it very, very simple for partners to come on board. If you're interested in embedding the technology, you can just go down what we call the build path. And what IBM does is help you embed your the AI technology into your solution. I appreciate that. Lots to think about, lots to check out. So we'll go to ibm.com slash partner plus and find out more about it. Thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us. Very, very interesting. This is the future, so we all need to uh, be up to speed on it. Very exciting, and, and thank you so much, Tony, for having me on. And by the way, I know that we should be saving and investing, but I've always been overwhelmed at the thought, so I just keep putting it off, even if I started. How would I know if I was doing it right? Which is why I was so excited when Acorns reached out to sponsor today's episode. Acorns helps you automatically save and invest for your future. You don't need a lot of money to get started. You can even start by investing your spare change with Roundups. The app even gives you access to education and guidance to learn more about investing. 
Head to acorns.com slash Tony to sign up for Acorns to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View imported to closures at acorns.com slash honestly. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors, LLC. Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And that's A-C-O-R-N-S dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Give your money a chance to grow with Acorns. Check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts. There's a lot of great insights about anything you can think of to help grow your business and learn from the success of others who have been through their school of hard knocks and they came out as champions. Go to Apple Podcasts and type in Tony, D-U-R-S-O, and play what appeals to you. And now back to the chat with Cynthia Covey-Haller talking about living in crescendo. As part of that on the crescendo mentality, Stephen Covey says, we need to redefine success. And I thought, you know, it would be really great. We have you on. Can we do that now? What is success? How do you define it? Okay. Well, to him, um, being successful was being successful in your most important roles. It's usually uh, being successful is by how much money you have, by your influence, by your name by, um, you know, how well you're known and, and what you've done um, that shows off to people, kind of what you'd call what he called secondary greatness. But primary greatness is being successful in the roles that are truly most important. And when you can determine that by what would be important to you at the end of your life, your role in your family as a, as a, as a son, daughter, father, mother, child, and uncle, um, as your roles in the community, as, as, as um, in your neighborhood, looking out for people, being mentors, your roles in your profession. Uh, this is a great program, Tony, where you are contributing to people's lives. You're helping them live in crescendo by giving them, having guests on, giving them more knowledge and, and more um, wisdom so that they can increase in their life and become have more purpose and meaning in their life. Um, identify. So he would challenge people to identify their write down. What are your most important roles and why? How successful? Judge success by how well you are successful in those, rather than what the world or society would determine as success, which we know is pretty fleeting. You can be a starting quarterback one day, and you can be the president of the United States, or you could have a big business and a lot of money, and we all know it can vanish quickly. And at the end of one's life, most people aren't bragging about the money they had or the, or, you know, what they, um, the influence they had, they're talking about their most important relationships and things that matter most to them, um, um, you know, at the end. And so that was how we just defined success is being successful in your most important roles. I really like that. And part of that in terms of what we live for, what we want to accomplish in our life and this is very important for us entrepreneur and business people in the audience. Where are we going with this? What is it that we want to do? You know, you can't take anything with you. So what is it that you can take? Well, you can, I guess, not guess, you can take your accomplishment with you. You can take what you've done with you, but you can't take anything else of this earth. It's true. <laughs> and as part of that, it kind of like a, a lead in is, that you say that life is about contribution, not accumulation. And I love that. So I'd like to dive into that and the meaning of life and kind of not to get too uh, esoteric here for the audience, but we are entrepreneurs. We have, we're here to learn to improve our business. So I want to uh, connect this with the, the, the working world that we live in and so forth. Yeah, that was one of the ideas that my father felt strongly about that he that when I would interview him for this book, that he said, I really want to emphasize 
the life is about contribution, not accumulation. And like you said, everyone is, you know, they're running businesses. You need to make money. You need to be successful and make money for your families and for your, you know, your own uh, career and things. But he would always say, you might retire from a job or a career, but you never retire from making meaningful contributions to your family, to your community, to those around you. One of the mission statements of this book, I think, that is an inspiring quote is actually by Pablo Picasso, kind of an unusual person for this quote, but he, he wrote that the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And so in, in Live Life for Crescendo, my father challenges people to uh, be real introspective, to look at their unique talents and skills and wisdom and experience they've gathered, like being, being entrepreneurs, being um, uh, family members, being in the community, all the things that you've learned and thinking, what is my unique mission to contribute to others? Because as we serve others, as you find, as you serve and bless other people and expand your uh, circle of influence, um, it, it does so much good. It's like a domino effect. And it also can give you so much more purpose and meaning in your own life. And sometimes if you're going through a really hard setback or a trial and you help somebody else, it really puts things into perspective and it helps you work out your own problems. So that was one of the main points of the book is to find your gift and to give it to others. And I think of that story you just told us about that gentleman who was in jail on death row for a very long time and the contribution that he gave and is giving as a result of that. So um, it's very, very interesting. It's quite something. And earlier in this, at the very beginning, you mentioned the subtitle of your book and that it is, which the subtitle is, your most important work is always ahead of you. Now, some of us may be struggling just to get our life and our business going, just to get ahead. It's really tough sometimes to, to look ahead. We say it, it's like, oh yeah, just look into the look ahead in the future. And there's ways to do it, yet we have to do it. We're compelled to do it. So I would love some advice and help on how we can do that, especially if we're struggling just trying to get things going. Right. Um, one example my father used is that if you're driving in a car and you're, look, um, you're just driving along, how far would you get if you kept looking in the rearview mirror at what you left behind you or even over your shoulder? You know, you'd probably drive and look in the rear mirror, you'd probably end up in a ditch pretty soon. So he said, don't focus on past uh, failures or even past successes. Look ahead at what you can bring about. So, for example, um, one of the there's four different areas of life that we talk about in this book. One is the midlife. One is the pinnacle of success. One is life changing setbacks. And the last is the second half of life. Well, in the midlife section... To tell a story about a man whose business just fell apart. He started a um, construction company and through a series of unfortunate events, things that happened, uh, he lost control of it and was pushed out by his partners. So he's 47 years old. He has four kids. He's unemployed. And he's thinking, oh, I lost my job. I lost my career. What am I going to do now? So here's the choice right now. Live in crescendo, live in diminuendo. Keep looking in the rearview mirror, be angry, be bitter, sue these people, do all these things, or think, okay, what can I do? What, what are my choices going forward? So he determined, I've always wanted to go to law school. <laughs> so at 47 years old, he enrolls in law school, he's accepted. He's the oldest one in the class by like half. I mean, he doubles everybody. And he said, uh, one morning, he pulled into the law school parking lot, five in the morning, it's pitch black, freezing cold, and fear and anxiety and doubt just crept over him. And he thought, what in the world am I doing? You know, I, how could I do this? I'm 47. I'm starting law school. I'm going to school with, with people in their mid-20s. And, you know, and he, he had said he had to consciously fight looking in the rearview mirror, thinking, I can't do it, fight his failure, feeling of failure and doom, and just fit, focused on, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do whatever it takes, I'm going to make it happen. My father talked about using your resourcefulness and initiative. He called it R&I. So he says, I'm going to use my R&I, I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. 
So he fought his fears and doubts and for two and a half years went year round in law school, graduated at, at 49. By the time he was 50, he set up a brand new law practice and within a couple of years had as much business as he could handle. So, um, I think that there's examples, you know, you, we all know people that have had some real failures and had some things happen and think, okay, okay what, how are they going to handle it? And some, you know, get bogged down in it and throw in the towel and are angry and bitter and don't progress, don't learn from it. And others will, will take that same step back and uh, make something of it and, and go on and accomplish a lot of things. The idea that your most important work is still ahead means you have hope and a belief that I still have more to contribute. I'm not done here. And I might have been a failure at, at this business or something happened, but I can see down the road like this, like this Ray Hinton. I mean, he didn't know when he was in prison that he would be speaking to hundreds of people across the United States talking about being incarcerated and helping them. And now and expanding and, and blessing other people's lives. And now he is. So I think we really have a choice, Tony, uh, in our circumstances, in different stages and ages to determine where am I on that continuum between diminuendo and, and crescendo and move towards um, more toward the crescendo end by deciding, no, I still have important work and contributions to make. I'm not giving up. This is very stimulating and exactly what I love to communicate to our fellow entrepreneurs and business people in the audience. This is, this is, this is the stuff because it's this type of mentality that leads to success and getting, getting away from struggling and looking more in, looking more through the front windshield instead of the rear. And as part of that, something that I noticed that you said, is you say that life is a mission, not a career. And I'm fully on board with that. But you also say that we don't invent our mission in life, but rather we find it. Can I come back to that in just a sec, Tony? I just thought of a great example of my father doing what you talked about. Uh, we we're saying as a business, his profession was a, he was a teacher. He taught at a university, organizational behavior. And he kind of went through a midlife himself a little bit where he'd been teaching for 20 years there and he felt like he was stagnating a little bit. He had a really like they, they said that if you haven't taken Stephen Covey's uh, organizational behavior 358 class, you didn't get a degree at this university. I mean, he was a popular class and he was doing well, but he felt like he wasn't progressing and growing and really contributing as well as he could. And so he made the determination with my mother, with nine kids and a teacher's salary to put everything in hawk and step out into the unknown and try. He's, he had this great idea about the seven habits of highly successful people that he wanted to uh, take to organizations all across the United States and eventually the world. And he did that. He left his um, his secure job and insurance and, and with all these kids and uh, determined to st he started Covey, Cutter, Covey Leadership Center. And then he, he started teaching the seven habits of highly effective people with businesses that would hire him. And he eventually published that book. And so he kind of had to take a step, you know, leave a little bit of uh, out of a comfort zone and um, try to live in crescendo himself. And in it, it didn't catch on right away. It took a couple years before this material really solidified with one organization after another when the top 100 uh, companies started asking him to speak then it really caught on but you know he had his own struggles it wasn't always easy for him as well but back to your uh, life is a mission not a not a career um, as I mentioned before he said you can leave a job and a career but you don't leave contributing in your whole life you still keep contributing and he, the reason why he said what life is a mission is because um, of a man. He was inspired by a man named named um, named uh, uh, I just blanked out. Oh, Victor Frankel. You've heard of man search for meaning, and he's the one that said we don't invent our missions; we detect them. We detect them within ourselves. My father took this to mean that, as I was saying earlier, that you that you analyze. What, what is my unique mission in life? Uh, what am I, 
Am I a person that would uh, care about the community, would, would build up our food bank is struggling? Am I going to help there? Am I aware of the schools that are overcrowded and that they need more teachers or they need more people to come in, more volunteers? Is my mission um, to give hope um, through different through different avenues that I feel like I have skills in? So he says, you don't really invent them. You detect what you're good at, what your talents and your abilities are. And then you create your own, your own unique mission. Um, it doesn't have to be extraordinary to make an extraordinary difference. Somebody like, um, one time a homeless, uh, advocate was speaking to a group of, uh, in a community and telling about how their involvement and help could make a difference in others' lives. And one lady in her eighties raised her hand and said, how can you telling me I can make a difference? How can I? I'm on a fixed income. I don't get out much. I'm 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 in my 80s. How how do I make a difference? And she said to her, "Could you donate one can of soup a week?" She said, "Yes, I could do that." She said, "Imagine a a single mother uh, opening up that can and feeding two or three hungry children before they go to bed at night. Do you think that that would make a difference to that family?" "Yes, yes, I do." And so from that point on, this older woman in her mid-80s donated one can of soup every week for several years and influenced hundreds of people, affected hundreds of people. So Theodore Roosevelt says, says, do what you can with what you have where you are. And so we all have to just start where we are and this detect your own mission. That's one of the challenges in this book is to determine what is my unique calling or mission in life that when I finally leave this earth, that I feel like that's my legacy. That's what I can leave that will still continue without me. Great, great. Very, again, very stimulating, invigorating, and insightful. I love it. And as I'm thinking through this, and I don't want to throw you a surprise question, we're talking about living in crescendo, and I'm just thinking, is there a time in your life where you had a big failure, just huge, and you 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 just switched from looking in the rear view to looking out through that windshield and and you just you 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 beat the biggest failure in your life by living in crescendo? That's a good question, Tony. Um I'm I'm the mother of six kids and I have lots of grandkids and very involved with them as well as in the community and things. But I felt really strongly that I needed to get this book out. And that's why it took 10 years. It was a struggle. It was not, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I had kids and grandkids and other jobs and things that I was doing um, in the community and in my church and in volunteer situations. And I had a lot of fear and doubt that like, okay, my father has a big name. I don't. I don't have the connections. He did. Am I spending all this time? Is this actually going to get published? And I had to, I had to fight it every day. I had to think, no, I, this is a vision my father had. It's, it's great. It's good material because it's hopeful. It's inspiring. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to stick with it and I'm, I'm going to get this published. And Simon and Schuster, who published my dad's first book, I sold him on the idea. You published his first book. Now publish his last. And they, and they, they did. And here's a fast break on getting sales for your business. Are you selling a little? Or are you selling a lot? You know, Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. They're the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the Did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. So that means whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. They help you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to the other leading platforms. So you can sell more with less effort. 
And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. They power 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. They're the global force behind companies such as Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. And you know why? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Tony, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Tony now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash Tony. And that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Hey, I have some new videos up on Patreon that I think you'd like to check out. It's free to join. There's a series that I've started on how to monetize your podcast. I have another series on great tips and hacks on LinkedIn. I talk about social media. There's a document for you on some of the biggest mistakes that you don't want to make. And there's all sorts of cool things like that. Go to patreon.com slash Tony, D-U-R-S-O, and check it out. It's free to join. I'll see you there. And now back to the chat with Cynthia. But I think I think my looking forward and not looking in the rearview mirror was when I'd be staying up till two in the morning, writing stories, writing things out and going to bed thinking, I, I, hope, I, I hope this is going to work. I hope that something will come of this and just getting up the next day and continuing to do it. So I... I don't know. I think that was my, I had to live in crescendo to finish the book about living in crescendo. (laughs) And that's what the crescendo mentality is. Like I was saying, it's like a pair of glasses that you put on that changes the perspective to everything that you see, everything around you. For example, um, some people in your, your audience are probably pretty successful entrepreneurs, right, Tony? Oh, absolutely. Some of them have had big, big careers and, CEOs and people that are managers and have had um, some big responsibility. So that one of uh, that's pinnacle of success. You look at someone like a Jimmy Carter. He was the president of the United States, but he was not a popular president. He was on during the Iran Contra during the hostages. He only, he didn't get reelected. And so he went back to Plains, Georgia. And what are his options? You could build an expensive, um, you know, give expensive speeches like a lot of them do, um, build his library and just bide his time. But what have the Carters been known for? And Rosalind just passed away. What are they known for, Tony? What's their greatest contribution, would you say? I don't want to embarrass myself. I'm not too sure. <laughs> well, have you, have you heard, you've heard about Habitat for Humanity? Oh, yes, of they, course. Of course, yeah, building homes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes, right. yes. Right. Yes. Here, here you'd think, okay, he's reached the pinnacle of his success. And same with Rosalind, the president and first lady in the whole country. So how much higher can you get than that? Well, they still, their greatest contributions, like the subtitle of the book, were still ahead. Within one year of, of leaving the White House, he started the Carter, the Carter Peace, um, I can't think of it, Carter Peace uh, Center to help resolve conflicts. And then he has become the face, he and Rosalind, of Habitat for Humanity, building homes for thousands and thousands of people who have never had a decent place to live. Um, up until just la- lately, and, and, and Rosalind just passed away, as we heard, um, they, they ha- their greatest contributions were still ahead. He may not go down as the greatest president we've ever had, but he's by far the greatest post-president in terms of contributions we've ever had. And so with your listeners, some of those that are very successful, you've made a lot of money, you've reached the top. So what's next? Um, just going to Florida and sitting on a beach and relaxing and biding your time or think, looking around, taking your unique skills, your wisdom, your experience, your networking, everything you've accumulated in these decades that you've built an, an awesome business or organization and apply it somewhere else. Maybe in something you feel passionate about, a charitable cause. Maybe in your family, one of your kids or grandkids or nephew or niece has a drug problem. What do you, what kind of a mentor could you be to this person? What would you mean to somebody else that if you would lend your skills and your abilities and all your experience and still 
contribute, even though you've already reached the pinnacle of success as the world defines it in terms of money and, and power and, and doing well in a business? What more can you give so that your greatest contributions are still to come and ones that would be lasting, like serving somebody else? Absolutely. Great points there. And it's what can we do? Because when you give out and give to the society and help, it comes back, even though it may not be a plan. It just it just does. It, it, again, you just can't keep everything with you. You've got to flow it. I think flows have a lot to do with it. You have to flow out and help people. And then it it does come back. Just you have to not everyone sees that. It's like some people don't see that if they give that they'll it'll come back to them. But it does. But that should not be the reason to give. It you should give because you're looking through that you're looking through that front windshield or through those glasses right. and you're living in crescendo. So I love it. <laughs> That's right. And think All about right. the people. If you maybe do you have somebody Tony that believed in you when nobody else did? Could you identify somebody in your life that my father would ask big audiences, who believed in you when maybe you didn't even believe in yourself? Can you can you think of somebody in your life, Tony? Oh, that would be my wife. Absolutely. No question. We've been together about 30 years now. That's awesome. She's she's been there as a, a mainstay uh, through the ups and downs. And people have heard my story here and there. And it's just things happen. Life happens. Hey. Most of the world or all of the world went through some serious ups and downs in the past couple of years. And who's there to help you get back up on your feet when something really bad crashes? And so that's, yeah, my, my wife has helped wife. me quite a bit. Yeah, that's awesome. That's wonderful to have a long-lasting relationship like that. Um, my father's uh, a definition of leadership was leadership is... is um, Believing in someone's worth and potential so was communicating another's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And so to communicate to another person, somebody who's struggling that's around you in your family, someone in your business world, maybe there's a sharp person, a man or woman in your organization that has a lot of potential, but they're pretty rough around the edges or they just are scared or they or they just need some confidence. What if you were to mentor that person and become a guide and a light to them and to help them? What would it mean to them down the road that they would point to you and say, you know, I was floundering as a as an intern in my business. I just had started as a salesperson or I was a manager and wasn't doing well. But the boss or whoever took me under his wing and and gave me helped me see in myself worth and potential that I didn't even see. He saw something in me some greatness that I didn't see any help bring it out. Imagine the domino effect of, of that in someone's life. Wouldn't that be a great contribution to make to mentor others and to seek out those that are struggling in a, in a, in a business setting, in a family setting, in the community, anywhere and change their life for the better. What a contribution. It's true. And after seven years, I've been podcasting. I've, I've been doing that, but that's a whole different story. But I'm actually doing that with the Patreon. I mean, I could I could create classes like most anybody and and charge three, four, not even three, four plus five digits and stuff like that. But I'm just wow. doing it. I'm just doing a very simple Patreon just to help and mentor people with what I know and pass it on. That sounds like your unique mission that you found it, Tony. Because that's uh, look at the domino effect of that influence on others, helping to mentor other people and help them find success. Also, that's a great contribution. It's the future. Well, thank you. And once again, we spoke about living in crescendo with Cynthia Covey Haller. And again, find her, connect with her on LinkedIn. Cynthia, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I love it. Very stimulating and motivating. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tony. I really love talking to you. I appreciate being on your show. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took her vision to reality. We spoke about living in crescendo with Cynthia Covey Haller. And we talked about what is crescendo mentality. I love it. And we talked about success and how Stephen uh, Covey said we needed to redefine it. 
And she gave us great information on that. You talk about life as a contribution. That story of that person on death row, that just really stayed with me. What a lesson. And we talked about the subtitle of her book, Your Most Important Work is Always Ahead of You. Very insightful. This is a very inspirational interview. Talked about your life is a mission, not a career. And how do you how do you find your mission in life? Just some great, great points. Let me ask you this. What hit home with you about this? What resonates? Let me know. And do me a favor. Would you share this with a few friends to help them too? All right. Let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds. Do good deeds. And join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go enjoy the weekend.